Hello, it's Peter Wright and Kathleen Beauvais in Ontario, Canada, with episode number 139 of The Yacking Show. This is the show for awakening you to new perspectives for the changing world we are living in, and it's changing quicker than ever right at the moment. As always, we have interesting guests. Today's guest will be no exception. We're looking forward to hearing her talk. But it's not my job to introduce guests. Kathleen does it so much better than I do. So first, let me introduce co-host Kathleen. And before I do, give her a quick plug. She wears another hat, and that is solving your IT recruitment and development needs. So if you have problems in that area, give her a shout. So hi, Kathleen. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Peter. Thank you. And thanks for the intro. And thank you all so very much for tuning into our show. We so appreciate you, and we love reading your comments. So do please keep those coming. And if anyone out there is interested in being a guest on our show, please don't hesitate to reach out to either Peter or myself. And as Peter mentioned, we do have another special guest with us today. We're excited to have her on the show. Her name is Erin Thorpe. Erin, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me here. Where are you located, Erin? I'm in Calgary, in Alberta. You're in Calgary. So Erin, mm-hmm. you are a speaker. You're an author and a coach who deals with conflict communication and performance during high stress times. And we're going to get into that a little bit later, but for our audience, can you give us a little bit about your background and how you came to embark on a coaching career? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, So I come from a farming family in Northern Alberta here. And uh, when I came time to make that, you know, decision of what are you going to do with the rest of your life? I decided to go ahead and embark on an engineering career, which landed me square in the middle of a construction in the construction industry here in Alberta, both commercial and in the oil and gas industry. And I spent about 20 years there delivering projects uh, and managing different sizes of, of construction teams. About sort of 15 years into that, after multiple years of feedback of you're too emotional, you need to get a game face, you know, toughen up, get a thicker skin, all of these types of pieces of feedback, um, it it really made me pause and go, am I cut out for this? Am I able to do it? Uh, You know, what is wrong with me was the question I kept asking because I kept trying to fix it. And through sort of some of my own personal development work came to understand that it was actually one of the things that made me a great leader was my ability to connect with people emotionally, um, to be able to handle kind of all the big feelings that were coming on. I just didn't know how to, um, uh, I wasn't really great at managing that myself just yet. So started kind of doing the inner work on me, worked out that, hey, this actually has some it's some positive impacts in my career in terms of my ability to lead different teams, especially as they became more diverse, as the projects became more complex. And so then about five years ago, I wrote uh, my first book, which is Inside Out Empathy, which talks about kind of that, that superpower of empathy and leadership and have slowly been transitioning out of this engineering career uh, into my coaching and speaking career uh, because I've just seen how, how much our ability to connect with people um, on, you know, using the skill of empathy impacts their, their experience. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but you were thrust into a leadership role very early in your life, earlier than most, weren't you? 
I was, I mean, yes. I don't, I don't want to push you to say things you don't want to say, but from a little <laughs> bit I, we know about you, you, you in your family situation, you picked up a leadership role very early and being on a farm and being, being a woman, you mm -hmm. had to pick up a lot of the roles that men did on the farm. I mean, I, I've come from a farming background myself and in Africa where women didn't get their hands dirty mainly. So I'm amazed at what women in Canada do in the farming world. So how did you adapt to, to picking up that leadership role? Yeah, it's interesting you say, how did I adapt? I don't feel like I ever had a choice. I feel like it was just uh, something I did. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, my my parents very early on in my life um, did suffer from addictions. They were able to um, become sober when I was about nine, but from about sort of six, seven, eight, nine, those sort of really early formative years, I have three younger siblings and I did a lot of their care. Um, wow. So picked up that, then we... We also had this farm. And so, yeah, my, I'm the oldest and I have two younger sisters and my brother's quite a bit younger than I am. And so my dad just put us girls to work like we were anybody else, uh, you know, learning to drive at a very young age, <laughs> um, you know, out in the fields. And uh, just, I didn't know any different, you know, um, he farmed with another a friend of his who would usually hire, you know, a young teenage boy to come in in the summer and, and, you know, be kind of a farmhand. And my dad was like, I don't have to hire anybody. I have these three girls. So here they are. Um, so we did, we worked alongside him on the farm. My mom was a nurse. She worked out of the house most of the time. And so, you know, we, we did farm work, we did housework, we did, we did all the work together. Wow. Wow. Now, you left home. You were only 17 to pursue an education in engineering. Uh, My goodness, that's so young. How did you, how did you support <laughs> yourself? Uh, well, through a lot of student loans, it's funny, we were having this conversation because my daughter is now 17 and I look and I'm like, oh, she's so young, right? I didn't feel <laughs> young at the time. I was ready to go. Um, <laughs> it's funny now that you have someone going through those same things. Uh, so a lot of student loans and part-time jobs and, um, you know, always did have my family to fall back on. There were a number of times in that first year where it was like, this is too hard and I don't know how to do it. And, uh, you know, they were a great support system for me. But also just this real drive to to get out there and make an impact in the world. Right. Wow. Well mm -hmm. done. <clears throat> so so you were sort of baptized by fire from your your background into leadership, but I would guess that a lot of your clients have had a somewhat softer, and I don't mean that in a bad way, an easier right. life, right? Because when I look at a lot of thirty and forty year olds and twenty year olds and the gentle upbringing they've had compared to your background and mine was also a bit older but very hard as well so how do you help these people who haven't had that baptism by fire to develop their leadership roles yeah i think i think what's interesting is even though the background might have been you know a little bit easier and they may have just been stepping into it quite recently uh what we have to learn as a leader it doesn't really matter when we get to step into those shoes, uh, that we need the same kind of skill sets and, and we have to learn the same things just because I was thrown into it at a very young age. Doesn't mean I was overly effective or did a great job at it. You know, I look back mm -hmm. now and go, Oh, there's so many things that, you know, I would have done differently knowing what I know now. And I think that's the real joy for me in the client work that I do today is being able to, um, help them navigate that transition into leadership in a much more um, 
what's the word I'm looking for in a much more planful way, but also one that feels uh, really supportive. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So it isn't that, that baptism by fire. There is this belief, especially in the industries that I've worked in that, you know, if you were thrown into the deep end uh, and at this sink or swim environment, then that's how everyone should be trained. Right. That, that I was trained that way. So that's how you should be trained. And I don't subscribe to that belief. I think that as we know better, we do better. And, uh, and I think that's certainly true of leadership today. Yeah. So you touched on this earlier about the criticism you received working in the construction industry, but you stayed there for quite a number of years. So how did you, how did you deal with that criticism? Because it must've made you wonder, I mean, being emotional. I mean, what does that mean really? (laughs) Yeah. Well, it definitely did. And often, I mean, for years and years and years, probably at least 15 years, I was the only female on site. I mean, we didn't have trades. We didn't have females in the trades. We didn't have, uh, you know, construction supervision that was female. I was kind of it on any given project. We started to sort of see some females in the design world, in the architecture, in, um, you know, interior design and that sort of thing. So there would be Uh, obviously females coming to site, but as far as on-site leadership and in the project, I was usually the only one. So it definitely made me go, do I belong here? You know, can I, can I be effective? And it was really interesting because I would get kind of two opposite ends of feedback. One, you're too emotional. You're not cut out for this. You need to toughen up. And then the other one, you're really great at this. You know, people respond to you you, your projects are well run, you're organized, you're professional. And so I'm like, okay. So basically what I thought for a number of years was I had to get rid of this emotional part of me. And I've often said, if I could have just cut it out of me, I would have at, in those younger years of my career, because it felt like such a limiting part of me. It felt like the thing that was holding me back. Um, so Erin, can you, I just don't, I don't mean to interrupt you, but Could you give us an example of of what that means? Like, so if they accused you in in a specific situation Mm -hmm. that you were too emotional, what did that look like exactly? Can you give, give us an example of that? Absolutely. Uh, So we might be in a construction meeting where that, you know, I I don't know if anyone's ever been in a construction meeting, they can tend to get quite loud and boisterous and, you know, lots of, lots of big, strong personalities, lots of uh, conflicting opinions, Uh, everyone's sort of fighting because often on all construction projects, budgets and schedules are always strained, right? And so it's not, we're having big, meaningful, robust discussions. The way that um, I would say, uh, you know, the, the masculine expression of that emotion would be to raise your voice, to maybe bang your fists on the table. Maybe you would use some colorful language, uh, but you certainly would never uh, cry. Your voice would never waver. Um, you know, you wouldn't, when, when my voice goes high, it's almost like, you know, when I raise my voice, it's like a pitchy kind of, um, you know, whiny kind of sound, which doesn't happen when, when the masculine presentation of those same emotions happens. And so it just looked different. I think that's the big thing that I have now come to understand. We were all feeling the same thing. We're feeling the stress and the pressure. Uh, we all want to do a good job. We all feel like it's our reputations on the line. It's our companies on the line. We want to deliver these great projects for these clients. It was how my expression looked different than other people's expression. Interesting. I've Sorry to jump in, but I've seen that. I was in the corporate world for many years before I went out on my own. 
and then went back to farming. And I know exactly what you're talking about because mm-hmm. as, as I, I was in the food industry and as women started getting higher, more senior positions in that industry, I could see that thinking back from what you said, they were going through exactly the same. And when they tried to be forceful in a meeting, they were accused of being emotional, whereas the men weren't. No, I I hear you. I hear what you're saying. Yeah, very true. Absolutely. And now what's interesting is I still, uh, you know, my voice still cracks if I have something that I'm passionate about or, you know, have to deliver tough news. I might shed a tear in a meeting. I just don't feel the shame that I once felt about it. Um, I, I understand where it's coming from. It is that passion to do a good job, to deliver a good product, to care about the client. Um, and I realized that the reason I was getting that feedback was before, was it made other people uncomfortable? Absolutely. Right. They didn't know what to do with it. I mean, imagine you've got this woman crying across the desk from you. You're in the middle of a construction meeting. You're like, I have no idea what to do with you. You need to fix it. Right. And that's where it was coming from. And so now, uh, I realize that this isn't a part of me I have to fix. Of course, I've done a lot of work to get to know that part of me, to better understand where it's coming from, to not get afraid of it, uh, and to really lean into it so that it doesn't catch me off guard. I think that's a big part of the work that I do is when we feel big things, uh, if we don't allow them to come through in in a manner that's safe, they, and we push them away. It's sort of like putting that Jack in the box back in the box. Right. But somebody's constantly winding the thing and you never know when the, the, the Joker is going to jump out. And that's, you, that's really how that's the best analogy or metaphor mm-hmm. I have to mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. emotions used to catch me is, you know, I would be thinking I was fine and I'd go into a meeting and somebody would say something and I just lose it, you know? And so now I'm much better at going, okay, like what's really going on with me? Where am I at? How can I locate myself? That's what I teach leaders to do, right? If you've had a rough morning with the kids or a bad night of sleep because your pet's sick, or you've got something going on in your family, that is going to impact how you show up. And so don't be afraid of it, right? Don't stuff it in a box because it's going to jump out at the worst possible time. Absolutely. So leading on from that, do you find as time has gone on and as the modern father and husband picks up more of the traditional women's role in the home, which I'm seeing a lot, that men are also starting to handle their emotions a little differently and perhaps more openly in the workplace? Absolutely. I do. um, I work with a number of, of male clients now as well that are Uh, you know, for so long, they, they were told they had to compartmentalize that part of themselves. And they did quite successfully. Mm -hmm. Um, But now they're going, it feels, it feels, um, it feels like I'm being split in two. That's often what they'll tell me, right? Is I'm, I'm supposed to have this work self and then this home self. But especially in the pandemic, we have had one self who is working from home, <laughs> dealing with all of the stressors that are here, kids running around, pets in the background, all of those things. And it's too difficult now to keep that separate, mm-hmm. right? And they want yeah. to live more integrated. They want to live more holy. They want to live um, where they can feel that full expression. Yeah. You know, I think back to my time in management in a corporate world in the 80s. And if one of my kids was sick, 
uh, I would go off to work and say to my wife at the time, well, sort it out, you know, and yeah. unless the kid had to go to hospital or was on the verge of dying, she would not phone me to tell me how the kid was. That would wait yeah. till I got home. So I didn't have to give that one moment's thought the whole time I was right. at work. And if I'm away on a four-day business trip, same thing. Unless the child's about to die, don't, don't bother me. And that's <laughs> the way the world was. <laughs> It's so true. It's so true. And now, you know, I think we are seeing uh, many more dual working parent families, right? right? And so, and both, um, we're in a global world, both, both people that are working, um, both partners have travel demands, have business trips, have conferences, have leadership offsites, have, you know, all these things where it's much more a trade back and forth with, um, with these domestic responsibilities. And I think if you are, um, parenting, especially, you have to have access to this emotional body. Right. Yeah. So let's go a slightly different direction. <clears throat> when you had had enough, perhaps that's the wrong words, uh, of the engineering side, you went into sales, right? And um, you then notice a huge difference in attitudes and in working environments and all sorts of things. So tell us a bit about that yeah. transition. Yeah, it is interesting. I consider that one of the gifts of my career because it really did open me up to, um, I would say because sales is such a relationship uh, business and role, it really opened me up to, that's where I first started to get the glimpse of maybe there isn't something wrong with me, right? Maybe I just need to better understand this. And maybe there is some personal development work to do um, so that I can be more effective in my relationships. I, I, I'm so grateful for that experience because it, it definitely opened my eyes and allowed me to come at that feedback from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So instead of coming at it from, you need to fix it and get it out of you, maybe it's like, let's better understand it and work with it and figure out what's going on. So can I ask you a follow-up to that? It's my, through reading and a little bit of personal experience, I believe that in certain industries, there are way more women in sales than men now. And I'm thinking particularly the mm-hmm. pharmaceutical industry. And um, that's the one I know of. And even the veterinary pharmaceuticals, there seem to be more women than men. Mm-hmm. Is, is, is that, again, because women generally are better at relationships than men? <laughs> Maybe. I'm not sure. I, I My sales experience was in a, a tool and, and fastener company. So, you know, it was very much related to the construction industry. Right. I've always stayed close because I do love construction. I love building things and turning them over. And now I drive through the city with my kids and I'm like, I built that, you know, I could tell you all the bad, you know, all the good stories and all the crazy stories about that, that project. So I've always loved it. And I still do love it. I work with a lot of construction companies and clients. Um, but what I did notice when I went to sales was that the people that were there, both the men and the women, focused on developing their abilities to, um, to build relationship. And mm-hmm. that was really the key success factor between those that were really successful and those that weren't, right, was the people that could build deep, lasting, trusting relationships, mm-hmm. ha- never had to worry about quotas and sales and, you know, amounts and where's the next client coming from, uh, because they were always there. Mm-hmm. Let's chat um, a, a little bit about leadership styles. And I, I, what I'm about to ask, I hope I don't offend any men or women out there, but I'm just talking based on my own experience. Yeah. Uh, men and women in terms of leadership styles really do have, 
are different. Mm-hmm. Um, I, for, for instance, I, I remember many, many years ago working for an insurance company and I had a lot of female uh, supervisors and I found that the way that they managed was more, it felt more like the way that they would manage or manage children, for instance, uh, just more of a, uh, I, perhaps you can articulate it better than I can. <laughs> and because I'm trying to be careful not to offend anybody, but it, yeah. it just felt that way where men were more, you know, figure it out and mm-hmm. just <laughs> kind of uh, hands off, more hands off where women, it was yep. more like they were nurturing their own children, mm-hmm. sort of. Uh, can you explain this? Yeah, I think uh, so. Everyone, we all have a primary leadership style that we, you know, had we've picked up along the way. Whether that comes from uh, our experience as a child, perhaps where we were born in the family, right? Uh, youngest versus oldest versus middle kids, because we learn different skills in the family unit. What career we choose to go into, what our secondary and post-secondary schooling looks like. Uh, so I have met very nurturing men and I have met very hands-off, very sort of cold and stern women. So I have seen it happen. I don't, uh, I guess I wouldn't say that it's naturally, maybe a a natural gender expression. I think it has more to do with our upbringing and our Mm -hmm. chosen career that we're in. Uh, and this is where, this is the work of leadership development is we all have a primary style that will work some of the time and usually has gotten us quite a a far way into our career. Mm -hmm. And all of us will experience at some point where that style no longer works, where it's no longer effective, where it actually becomes a bit of a detriment. Mm -hmm. Um, And we don't know why, because for so long it worked, Mm -hmm. right? It's it's how I survived as a kid. It's how I got through post-secondary. It's how I managed my first job. Um, even our experience with other leaders impacts how we show up, right? We either have a great experience and want to emulate them, or we have a really negative experience and go, I want to get as far away from that as I possibly can. Right. And so the work of, of leadership development is to go, okay, you know, what is this new thing in front of you? What is the team you're trying to do lead or the project you're trying to lead? What are the skills required and where, where do you have them and where do you not? And then how do we close that gap? Uh-huh. Okay. That's that's interesting, and I I have a bit of experience of that because I I lived in Africa for most of my life in a country called Rhodesia, which is no longer there, and all men had to go through uh, national service conscription in the right. military. Right. So uh, all guys older than me did four and a half months. I did nine months, and the ones after me did up to two years, and then we did. For 10 years, I spent more than half my life in the military because we had a terrorist war on. So my earliest exposure to leadership, apart from my father, who was quite a gentle leader, was the military, very strict orders. Very command you know. and control, yeah. And and I became a, I got an NCO, I became a section leader. So that was my default leadership style. So when I got into the corporate world and I had a department that was more women than men, that didn't actually work too well. <laughs> no, it wouldn't have, right? And and that's and, what I mean is we don't we often don't give pause to or think about how that style came to be. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense what you're saying there. I think back a few other parts of my life where I've had to change my leadership style and it's sometimes taken me a while to realize that. You know, yeah. <laughs> upset a lot of people in the process. <laughs> yeah, and and to get back to, you know, what I guess 
kind of made me start to wonder or question this was I was, I remember specifically being at a conference and it was a women in leadership conference, you know, a day of speakers uh, specifically in uh, the, the kind of corporate world here in Calgary. So oil and gas, there's a lot of oil and gas construction law uh, you know, this type of thing, engineering. And I'm watching these speakers come up and they're talking all day. And I couldn't, at the end of the day, I'm like, nobody really resonated with me. There wasn't, there wasn't anybody that walked across that stage that um, still had a partner that worked, that were trying to raise children, um, that was active in their community, like all of these things in one, right? Mm-hmm. There was lots of people that were having their careers and active in the community. Lots of women who uh, active in their careers and were uh, not mothers. There was lots of women who uh, were mothers, but their partner stayed at home. There were lots of, right? But I was like, there wasn't one person there that was living my experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I was like, so what do I do? Right. Does it not mean that I can't have, you know, a successful career and get to this kind of senior leadership place. Uh, And it really made me wonder. And a lot of the advice that was coming across was um, very much in this old paradigm of, um, you know, a very masculine approach to leadership. Mm. Right. And it was just, that's really, I would say that little seed that got planted that day that went there. I think we need something different here. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Very good. So here's one I've got to ask you that (laughs) you've had lots of experience, both as a, as a leader in the corporate world in construction. Now you've, you've been coaching other leaders and training them. And so you've had a wide exposure to different, people and different levels of success would would you say that there's one characteristic or or attribute or habit that differentiates the people who become successful and not just in monetary terms let's talk a bit about the balanced life to those who remain either failures or stress stressed all the time or you just don't achieve their potential is there a key there is in my opinion and i think it's the ability to um to go inward first. So Ah, I I was taught this expression very early on in my career. And I think it was the pivotal moment for me in my experience as a leader, Um, especially as leaders, we can either look out the window for the issue, the the challenge, the the reason, you know, the place to place the blame, uh, which means that we're looking outwards of ourselves. We're looking at the team or the environment or, you know, what's going on in the world or the company, uh, or we can look in the mirror, mm-hmm. right? And we can look in the mirror and go, what's my role in this? And what's my part in this? What do I want? What's important to me? And so I love what you said, um, Peter, about not, not just in terms of monetary, but I think people that are really successful in terms of their own leadership of self and leading their life in terms of balance of life, quality of life, mm-hmm. they look inside first and go, maybe right now at this age and stage of my family and my career, I don't want the CEO suite, right? I'm good to stay here in middle leadership and just have the biggest impact that I can and, and really lead and develop other people at this point, because I don't want the stress and the demands that come with that bigger title and that bigger role. Um, And other people can go, that is what's important to me. And I'm willing to make different decisions to go and get that. But I do think we can't, we can only take other people as far as we've taken ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so as leaders, I think that is, 
we have to keep continuously doing the inner work on ourselves so that we can continue to grow and develop um, those underneath us as well. Mm. I, I think that's a wonderful explanation. Mm -hmm. And I would say, I think you, you got to it better than most. For many, <laughs> many people, myself included, it takes a huge upset to realize that. If, awesome. if things progress incrementally, smooth ups and downs and generally moving ahead, I don't think, I think it's hard to get to that point. In yeah. my case, it took a huge, and this is not my show, I don't want to go into my own story, but it took a huge <laughs> total upside down turnaround, losing everything, moving to a different country to be able to look in and say, what's, you know, to answer that question. So yeah, very good, very astute. Them. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, it, it's always been a part of my life because of my parents' sobriety journey was right. That's a huge look inward on self and I've got to do the work. And so it was always there. Um, it didn't, I don't think I kind of connected to it until I was probably in my mid twenties, starting out on my own leadership journey. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I look back and go, Oh, that's why that's so important. You know? So I had, I had had some familiar familiarity, I can't say that word right today, uh, with it, didn't really kind of connect to it and let it sink in until I was in my own journey. Mm. Oh, very good. Yes. Kathleen, mm -hmm. over to you. You've got something to ask. There. Well, I, you mentioned your book a little while ago. Can you tell our audience a little bit more about it and how they can go about getting it? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so it is called Inside Out Empathy. And it's really the book that I wish I would have had when I started leading. Um, so it's very uh, you know, it's very approachable. It's very storytelling like, um, it is available on Amazon Indigo kind of anywhere books are sold and, um, yeah, I would appreciate any and all support. And if you have read it, go in and leave a review. Cause that's, uh, in the world of algorithms today, that's what makes, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there is a, a website. You can find your way there as well. Um, through my website, which is, uh, All right. Mm -hmm. And other just, than your, go sorry, ahead. I'll just, just give us the title of the book again. I didn't write it down properly. Oh yes, it's called Inside Out Empathy. Inside Out Empathy. Yeah, and really just playing on what we've talked about there, where it's the inside sure. work first, and then the outside work. Because most of us as leaders, you know, there's a lot of a lot of conversation today around how do we practice empathy in leadership and empathy with others. And I, in my own experience and my work with leaders, it starts with ourselves first. Absolutely. And mm -hmm. um, oh, great. you mentioned your website, but is there another way that people can contact you? Yeah, um, any, probably all of the social media platforms, I would say. <laughs> so LinkedIn, Instagram, uh, Facebook are kind of the usual places that I hang out. Uh, so they can find me there as well. Uh, under your name on there, Erin yes. Thorpe? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Good. We'll put that on so people get, can get hold of you. That's Excellent. That's really good. Excellent. Thank you. Yes, and, and I think we're out of time. Any final thoughts, Peter? Or? No, um, I found that very interesting. Yes, Thank you very much. Um, it's, uh, I learned something new, and it triggered a lot of things that I should have been practicing better than I have been. So <laughs> thank you for that. <laughs> no <laughs> worries. Good to have you. Thank you. Yes, what a pleasure to have you on the show, and, and we hope to have you again sometime. Thank you. I would gladly come back. Thank you so much for the interview. And thank you so much for tuning into our show. Once again, we love reading your comments. And if anyone out there is interested in being a guest on our show, please, again, don't hesitate to reach out to either Peter or myself. So until next time, everyone, take care. Bye. Bye.